talking about baptism. And I'll just open this up. What comes to mind when we begin talking about baptism? What comes to your mind? John the Baptist. Baptist. Water. That's right. What else? Baptism. Cleansing. New beginnings. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And at the close of this, are you okay playing? We'll do communion as we wrap up the message, too. Um, Anything else? Angels in heaven. Yeah. You know, baptism's a wonderful time. I, my own journey was such that I came to faith as a teenager. I didn't go to church anywhere. Uh, as a kid, my parents didn't take me. My dad grew up Lutheran and <clears throat> went, I think, to, you know, to Lutheran church and nothing against Lutheran because uh, there, there was a heritage there that was later picked up by my uncle and my grandpa that really tied into me in a way coming to faith. I know they were praying for me. But we could go to any church. We could go to a, a, a Nazarene church or Baptist church or Pentecostal or Lutheran or Catholic church or any church and, and either be alive with the Spirit or we can be dead to the Spirit. It's almost like some people have these problems in their heart where part of the heart muscle will actually die and it's not alive. Well, in order for us to be a healthy human being, you know, you need at least enough tissue in that heart that it's, it's pumping the blood out to our body, right? So too, we could be around spiritual things, the truth of the gospel, the word of God, and yet it has to be personally applied in our life. We have to have essentially the, the spiritual heart of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, making things alive in our life. And so I came to faith in the Lord and before long, I wanted to be baptized because as I read my Bible, it was like the best thing, if I, if I kind of outline my, my journey of growing in the faith, it was like they told me about Jesus and how you pray a simple prayer such that it's like, Lord, I repent of my sin, I'm making my Lord and Savior, and I'm following you. And something like that, where it is initiated, and then I got a Bible in my hands. I began reading the Bible, the instruction manual, right? And things began changing in my life and my heart and my mind as a result. And there's really no better method than that. Everything that we try to do as a church is kind of to try to make that happen in your life. But that journey of of prayer and reading the word and being around God's people and, and growing as a human being is something that looks a little different for each and every one of us, but focused upon the, the one Lord and one Savior. And baptism is the, the, the beginning after we have faith in the Lord, uh, so long as there's, you know, like you got the thief on the cross that comes to faith in Jesus, and he didn't have that opportunity, and he didn't have to be baptized in order to be saved, and yet for most of us, baptism is an option that, that we should pursue and uh, I want to talk about that this morning. So may, may God bless us as we think about the symbol of our new beginning, uh, baptism. And let me get my little clicker for clicking away here. So some of the things I'm going to talk to you about this morning are a little more, it's like I, I want you to be informed, okay, about baptism. Uh, to finish up my personal journey, though, with regard to baptism, I was like age 16, and then I'm reading the Bible, and then I'm realizing that baptism is something that I should do. So my youth group was doing baptisms in a lake, and uh, baptisms can be done anywhere, a river, or in a church building, in a horse trough, in a, you know, a frozen river, right? Um, that'd be more like that Iceman plunge or whatever it is. Uh, 
you can have water poured on you, sprinkled upon you. You can be immersed. We could go down to the water treatment plant. Okay, maybe not that, but uh, you've got you to follow with me this morning, okay? Uh, baptism is a symbol of the new beginning of the Christian's life, and so my youth group was doing baptisms in the lake, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Let's, let's do that. Uh, baptism, what is baptism? The word in the New Testament is, did I put it up there? I didn't, let's see if I did. No, uh, the New Testament word is baptizo, and we get our word baptized from it. So it comes right out of the New Testament. And what it means is it's the Christian ritual of initiation practiced by those who profess faith in Jesus Christ by immersion, pouring, or sprinkling with water. So it involves water, and some churches say it has to be immersion. Uh, we're not one of those churches, but it, unless you, know, you want to be sprinkled or poured, immersion is, is the vast majority of people that do that. So if you're wondering, well, why wouldn't we immerse, uh, or, or does God allow for that, you know, other than complete dunking? Or what if a little part of my forehead doesn't get completely wet, right? Like when I'm, I'm going down. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, there's a story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and they're out in the desert, and, and Philip gets up in the chariot with him. You can read it on your own, but they're in the desert, and they come to some water, and we don't exactly know what it is, if it's a small pool of water or if it's a little trickling stream, but we don't think, Bible scholars think that there's not enough water in that instance for uh, the Ethiopian official, the treasure of Ethiopia, to be immersed in water. So we almost everyone thinks that they took some water in some sort of a container, perhaps even their hands, and put it on him in, in that manner. And so um, the Bible leaves some room for us to have different types of baptism practices, okay? So that's just kind of a side note, but sometimes Christians get a little uh, uptight about how we do baptism. I say up here that it's a ritual, and why do we say it's a ritual? Well, just like Thanksgiving is a ritual for you, we do the same thing every time we do it. Now, you might mix it up and throw in a broccoli salad or something that you don't always do during Thanksgiving time, but just like when you have Thanksgiving dinner next month, uh, it, it had better involve turkey and pumpkin pie, okay? Uh, likewise, in order to do it, and you know I'm being a little facetious here, but some things just aren't what they are if you don't have certain elements. And baptism without water isn't really baptism. Baptism that's not focused on the Lord Jesus Christ isn't baptism. Uh, baptism that doesn't talk about the, the new covenant, the new life that we have, isn't baptism. So it's a ritual because the believer in Jesus is uh, getting water on them, representing cleansing, purity, uh, the washing of sin away, and more that I'm going to tell you about. Baptism is a ritual of initiation because God wants us to do it when we're relatively young in the faith. If you're a believer in Jesus, uh, you should have been baptized or you should be thinking this morning about when we could baptize you. And it doesn't have to be just this Thursday. We can reschedule, you know, if Thursday doesn't work for you, we can do it again soon in, in like a couple months or something. But thinking about baptism and saying, yeah, that's something that I haven't gotten around to yet is very important for the Christian because of 
Why? I'll tell you here. Uh, On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37, there's this whole crowd of people, and they heard Peter preach the gospel. And it says, when they, this crowd, heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The word repent means to change your mind, having a new mind. And baptism, the Jews already practiced this. They didn't call it baptism. Uh, They called it immersion. Uh, They called it, there's a Hebrew word too that doesn't come to me right now, but they would immerse themselves, especially when Gentiles would come to the Jewish faith. It was a way of saying the old life is over and now I'm, I'm coming to the true God of the universe. So they already practiced this as a way of symbolizing totally new beginnings. And for a Jew to be immersed, what it meant to the Jew in this context is I'm not going to trust in the old legalistic upbringing that I've, I've been accustomed to in the past. I recognize that my lineage to Abraham, my, my inheritance as a, you know, a son of Israel or a daughter of Israel, that doesn't count for anything that now it has to do with repentance and believing God. And so a lot of times Christians, when, when we're thinking about baptism, we don't realize what it meant for the first Jews it would have meant them saying, me being religious isn't enough. It doesn't quite meet God's standard of Christ paying the price for me. Because the religious person will do this. The religious person will say, well, I've, I've, I've had perfect attendance at, at whatever function it is, and I'm getting straight A's, and I've worked really hard, and God's saying, but all those things are still just like filthy rags. And they're smelly. And Paul likened it to the Philippians as a big pile of dung. The Hebrew word was skubala, which just meant, you know, let's, like I said, go down to the water treatment plant, okay? It's not pretty. It doesn't smell good. Even when you're doing everything right in your life, you still need Christ to cleanse and purify your heart and your mind. And that's what he does. And nobody comes to Jesus, you know, people say, how do you pass the test to get into heaven? You know what the test to get into heaven is? It's a blood test. And it's not our blood. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Does it click with you? It's not our performance. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so baptism is, is early on in the history of the church. So those who received Peter's word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So God reached a lot of people on that first day, that first preaching. In the epistle to the Romans, Paul assumes that Christians that he's writing to have been baptized upon having faith in Jesus, which they were. He says this, Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he's saying this. Here's the baptism candidate. When they go under the water, kersplash, dunk, that represents death. When they come up, that represents life, resurrection. 
the, the, the fact that God will resurrect us and he's already given us of his spirit, the spirit of resurrection power. And to prove that it's all true, he already resurrected the firstborn from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Now, sometimes we forget about this and we, we think of Jesus as like a ghost or something, but realize that Jesus is a human being, that even though he's glorified and, 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 and righteous, and, and it would actually, pro- some people theorize this, that if you were to look upon Jesus right now, uh, even in, in the, the, the bodies that we have, it might kill us. They call it the, the beatific vision, the beautiful vision of God, and that we have to be in resurrection bodies in order to like behold him with our eyes. That's, that's one theory out there. But it, say you're able to, and, and we're going to be able to, we're going to receive resurrection bodies and everything. We're going to be able to touch Jesus, just like the uh, you know, doubting Thomas touched him. They ate with him, all these different things. And yet at that time, he hadn't risen to the Father and been glorified and majestic. And the vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation is his, his eyes are shining and there's, there's this sword of the word coming out of his mouth and his, his skin is like bronze and his hair is wo- glorious white and shining. And we might not know what all of that means, but he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I mean, he's full of glory and all these different things, and yet he's still human. And the likelihood is high that we actually will look very much like him in our resurrected glorious bodies. That if you were to see yourself as you will be in the future today, you'd think that maybe it was an angel or a godlike being or something like this, that that is our destiny. And he's preparing our character to inherit the fullness of what it'll be like to be in our resurrection bodies. Do you ever even feel in this life from time to time when you're, you're feeling good, you're just like, it feels good to be me. I don't think that's a, a bad thing. Sometimes we as, as Christians talk about all our troubles and and, and sin and these different things. But what it is to be human is to be at peace with ourself and our neighbors and with God. And he has indeed created us for a measure of glory even in this life. You get what I'm saying? So baptism is going under the water, being a symbol of Christ's death, and rising from the water, a symbol of Christ's resurrection. It is an experience. It's not just a teaching. We're talking about it today. But when you experience it, essentially that baptism itself becomes a sermon that you're preaching. It's communicating, I've, I've experienced this newness of life that God has given with me, and it's to be shared with our church family, with our actual family, and with, um, yeah, with those who are close to us. So it's an outward display of our inward commitment whereby we surrender to Jesus. This means that we have been saved by Christ in the past, thus assuring us that we're currently being saved right now increasingly from the power of sin in our life and eventually we'll be just entirely, totally saved from the presence of sin entirely. The deciding factor in becoming saved is turning from our rebellion against God, praying for Christ to forgive us, and then living out our life by grace and faith. So belief in God, a lot of times we know, this is going under, and this is coming up, we know that belief in God is the second part, the mental acknowledgement of God, and a lot of times this is what we think following God is. But more importantly, this first point, 
that belief in God is submission of my personal will and actions to God. Far too many of us have been tricked, even as Christians, into thinking that belief in God is just an intellectual acknowledgement of God. And you know, we've all kind of been taught, because like even the format of how we do church, it's a lot of talking and it's it's learning different things and either we read the scriptures or we listen to them but there's an experiential side where we come to crisis decisions every day in our life that prove whether we really trust him or not right and it's those little crises that happen throughout the day and the week and the month and the year and the lifetime that the sum of them are our character the sum of them are our personality And in James chapter 2, James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. But we know that the demons don't obey God, right? They don't have an ear to actually receive what God says and, and work it out. Otherwise, they wouldn't have rebelled. And you know, one of the differences between us and these spiritual beings, the demons, the fallen angels, it seems to be, I don't totally understand this, but sometimes you're like, well, why can't they just repent? You know, why can't they just turn? It could be the fact that they saw God in the the beatific vision, in in the beautiful vision of all that he is. In other words, they received everything that they could as beings created by God and knew what it would have meant for all eternity to rebel against him. And yet they chose because it's almost like their choice was past, present, and future all in one. They knew everything that they could ever know about God, and yet they perhaps little theory here and yet they said yep we will rebel we will align ourselves with lucifer we will take him down we will kill him and we will have you know we will have we'll, we're going to take over now that's a little uh, of mark's conjecture in there but why would i kind of think like that well jesus says that he is the father of lies that's satan meaning that he's a liar And I think that's how he was able to get a third of the angels to follow him. And he said that he was a murderer from the beginning. And it's like, a murderer? Well, from the beginning. So who who were they trying to murder? Were they trying to murder God? Did they think that somehow they could pull it off? Or did they think that somehow like, well, even if we don't pull this off and take over heaven, the spiritual law is written such that if we can get Adam to give us, you know, territory on planet earth at least we'll have that and we'll have immunity there because we'll we'll get you know man's portion on the planet earth i i'm kind of off the map there on those different things but it's interesting to think about how our relationship is different than the spiritual beings relationship with god in that we are created in the image of god The angels are not created in the very image of God. So when you actually look at Hebrews chapter 2, which which quotes from the Psalms in the Old Testament, it talks about how God made man a little lower than the Elohim. And Elohim means God, but a lot of times that's translated angels, that God made man a little lower than the angels. But in reality, Elohim is God, meaning that God made man, human beings, men and women, a little lower than the angels. And my understanding is that you have God and then man right in the likeness of God, and then you have the spiritual beings, meaning that we are very important to God. 
that he would shed his lifeblood, not for angels, but for human beings. And when you think about the consequences of this, that every human being has an eternal destiny, either with God or without God, that just as he taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we pray, we come to faith, and you could think of it as this, that we're human beings who say to God, your will be done, not mine. I have to turn for my will. What if God tells unredeemed humanity as they begin their journey into eternity, your will be done. Your will was that I wouldn't mess with your life, and so I choose not to. I give you over to yourself. We don't want that as believers, right? We don't want our own will to be done. We want our own will to be undone because we want to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We want to operate according to the operating system that God meant for us to operate in. And if we're not operating in that operating system of love, we're operating in toxicity. We're operating in sin, selfishness, all these different things that in a word lead to death, which is separation from our life source. Just as we're physically separated from our body, so too spiritual death is that we're separated from our life source, the Lord Jesus Christ. So belief in God is evidenced by a faithful response because it says here, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? The point here is that works in and of themselves add nothing to us unless the works are a faithful response to God because God wants us to believe in him. Now, you might ask me this, you know, ultimately, what work do we have to do? This question was asked of Jesus in John six twenty eight. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said this, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. And he was talking about the Father. So he's saying, the Father sent me, the Son. So you want to know what you got to do? You got to believe. And what it means to believe is to put our trust in to take him at his word, to let him change our mind. Baptism does not save a Christian any more than a wedding ring means that you love your spouse. But people who do love their spouse wear their wedding ring to show others that they are taken. Baptism shows that you are taken. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that help? Since baptism is for those who believe in God, it becomes very difficult to answer this question. I think you're going to like this. This is a difficult issue because when I was baptized at age 16, okay, get this, that wasn't the first time I was baptized. I was baptized uh, by a Lutheran pastor, and I'm still, my parents haven't quite given me all the details about it, but they felt that when I was a baby, the grandparents felt that something was wrong, and so they had the Lutheran pastor come out to the house and uh, baptize me out at my, I think it was my grandparents' house, and I don't remember this because I was just a youngling at the time, and so the question is, uh, why was I baptized as an infant, or what if I was baptized as an infant? Did I get that? Yeah, what if I was baptized as a baby? Um, first of all, baptism is not for babies, okay? 
um, and you might be shocked by this, but there's no example in the Bible of infants or toddlers being baptized because they're not old enough to talk and reason. And now, you, you could be older and not talk, like Helen Keller, but yet there was still cognitive things going on in her mind. And even if there wasn't, even if she was more handicapped or more limited, um, there's certainly grace for people who don't achieve a cognitive level that, that most of us do. But for most of us, in the normal course of life, it's clear from Scripture that belief in God is tested by our thoughts words and actions in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 it says because uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved so here in Romans it's very clear that the heart and the mouth and the heart being the mind okay because in the New Testament they the heart was the center of emotion as well as thoughts when they talked about it in the Bible. So your soul, your personality, and, and what you speak out of your mouth is very important. And so little babies, even though they're super cute, and this one, isn't that one awesome too, uh, that little guy? It's not, you know, I'm not here to condemn our, our people in our families and and communities that are Catholic or Lutheran and do this. That's not the point of this. But uh, this is a, a good question here. Uh, what if I was baptized as a baby? And here's a better question. Did you believe in Jesus Christ when you were baptized as a baby? And for me, I think I was a little older than a baby, but I didn't, okay? So then the question is, if I didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ when I was baptized, what happened? Uh, it wouldn't technically be baptism into Christ because I didn't believe at the time when I was baptized as a baby. Are you following me? In other words, baptism is a symbol of that which we choose for ourselves. And if your parents choose it for you and you can't even remember it, then it kind of defeats the whole tenor of the scriptures to begin with. And I know that this might sound kind of harsh or something. I don't mean it in a harsh way. I want to, you to think about it because after I actually came to faith, then I wanted to experience that symbol of death and resurrection, right? So they weren't, like my family, weren't baptizing me as a Christian because being baptized as a Christian means that I believe in God. And this whole idea of baptizing babies, you know what it does? I think it's a little dangerous. In that it hints that there's another way into the kingdom other than personal faith. Now, we Christians for 2,000 years have been talking about personal faith in the Lord, but there have been very dangerous times for what today we call Roman Catholics, the Orthodox Church of the East, Greek and Russian and all those branches, as well as Protestants. There have been dangerous times in which we just do rituals and we think that that counts, that if somebody's baptized and they're going to heaven. But again, the test to get into heaven is the blood test that Jesus has covered over my sin. And you can't have a relationship with a spouse if it's just like, well, we got married, we did the thing, and that's all you can expect from me. That's not a very good marriage. It's about much more. And yet, some of us 
tragically, you know, experience that, and much worse in our marriages. God wants much more for you in your relationship to him, and many of you uh, know that. So the big difference between leading your young child to Christ at a very early age and taking that decision away from them by baptizing their body before it means anything to their mind and their heart is a big difference. The difference is the will. Say, will. The human will is the door which Christ walks through to come and dwell with us. This is central to the Christian life. So here's another question. What if I was baptized by a, a non-Christian group? And, and a lot of times in church, I don't you know, necessarily go here, but this is a little diagram of the Trinity. What all Christians, be they Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, or Protestant Evangelicals, the three branches of Christianity, all believe this, that the Father is God, but the Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, and so on with the Son. The Son is not the Father, but He is God. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, but He is God. And likewise, the Spirit is God, but He's not the Son and not the Holy Spirit. And that is the most clarity that we have about the Trinity. Everything else is kind of enveloped in mystery about the Trinity. But if you believe in the Trinity, you believe in a statement called the Apostles' Creed. It says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. This is what all Christians throughout the ages have believed. And the word Catholic means universal. I believe that there is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ that's on the earth that I'm a part of. And if you have been baptized in the Catholic Church, you, you have been baptized into the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you've been baptized by the Eastern Orthodox Church, then you've been baptized into the triune Godhead. And if you've been baptized already by the Protestant church, then you're good to go also. Uh, here's an illustration that might help us think about being baptized as a baby or by a community of faith that doesn't believe in the Trinity. And the, the biggest ones that don't believe in the Trinity like this, in this exact way, would be uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that we call them the Mormon Church, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, there's other groups also that are wonderful communities of faith, but they do not hold to what we would say the Trinity and the Apostles' Creed. And so if someone were baptized in one of those other communities of faith, we as Christians would say, we want to now baptize you into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because we would say that those, uh, that, that was not being baptized into Christ as we know him from the Scriptures. So, like me being baptized as a baby, um, I would liken it to this. For years, my dad worked at a sawmill, and when I was a kid, he got paid every two weeks, every other Friday, and I would not have to walk home from school because my folks would pick me up in my dad's pickup, and we'd drive 20 miles into town to cash my dad's check at the bank where later I would work. 
I thought it was cool later in life to work at that very bank because I remember one payday when my dad's employer didn't have enough money in the payroll account to cover the cost of all of those paychecks. So the check bounced. My dad was fuming mad. He got his check, but did he get paid? Did he? No. Likewise, I would liken it to this, that if we're baptized before our will is engaged, then it's okay to get baptized again. If we were baptized in a community that did not hold to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as revealed in the scriptures, then it's okay to get baptized again. But if you were baptized in the Catholic Church, or Baptist Church, or Methodist Church, or Episcopal, or Presbyterian, and even if you felt that part of your spiritual heart was dead and not made alive, yet you were confessing in the act, in, in you know, being baptized into the Trinity, you know, or maybe even you were younger, like 12 years old, and you, you walked away from the Lord, and then you came back to Him, you were baptized into Christ because that community of faith believed in the Trinity and I would say don't be baptized again. Um, you might have been dunked, but you weren't baptized into Christ if it was a community that didn't believe in Trinity or if your will wasn't engaged. So Ephesians uh, 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So this statement says that there's just one baptism, okay? So as Christians, what I've tried to do is help us figure out what is that baptism if you're, you know, struggling with different questions about, you know, this thing. Your one baptism is the time when you can remember and your will is engaged that I'm being baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it represents a whole new beginning. So sometimes people want to repeat the baptism, though. And it was just fine, you know, like, say me, getting baptized at age 16, 17. It's like, well, I want to get baptized again because it's so exciting and this, that, or the other. No, there's just one baptism. And I've given you the, the, the reasons why we would say, you know, it's, it's time to be baptized or it's time to think back to your one baptism. But you know what is some good news? We as believers have two sacraments or two ordinances. Baptism's a one-time thing that is about beginnings. It's about new beginnings. But we renew ourselves with the Lord's Supper. And so this morning we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And that's a time where we think back to our baptism, which is kind of like our spiritual birthday. And if you haven't been baptized yet, you can be looking forward to that, but you can also realize that it's, it's about the faith in the Lord. It's not about the act itself. And so if the Lord were to take you and you were a baptism candidate for this next week and it weren't to happen, there's no question that we would see you uh, in heaven with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's not a problem, but there is one thing that we continually renew ourselves with, and that's the table of the Lord that we're going to partake of uh, this morning.